the fifth season. This is the way the world ends for the last time. A season of endings has begun. It starts with the great red rift across the heart of the world's sole continent, spewing ash that blots out the sun. It starts with death, with a murdered son and a missing daughter. It starts with betrayal and long dormant wounds rising up to fester. This is the stillness, a land long familiar with catastrophe, where the power of the earth is wielded as a weapon and there, where there is no mercy. The Obelisk Gate. The season of endings grows darker as civilization fades into the long, cold night. Essen, once Demaya, once Cyanite, now Avenger, has found shelter, but not her daughter. Instead, there is Alabaster Tinring, destroyer of the world, with a request. But if Essen does what he asks, it would seal the fate of the stillness forever. Far away, her daughter Nassen is growing in power, and her choices will break the world. The Stone Sky. The moon will soon return. Whether this heralds the destruction of humankind or something worse will depend on two women. Essen has inherited the power of Alabaster Tenring. With it, she hopes to find her daughter Nassen and forge a world in which every orogeny child can grow up safe. For Nassen, her mother's mastery of the obelisk gate comes too late. She's seen the evil of the world and accepted what her mother will not admit, that sometimes what is corrupt cannot be cleansed, only destroyed. We're obviously doing a deep dive into N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, now completely closing out the first episode we ever did on this podcast. And just like Joel's sexual escapades, we have no restraint. So, spoilers, <laughs> if you haven't read these books and want to be surprised, stop listening now and come back later. This is the book report. Oh, God. <laughs> You're welcome. I thought that was a nice ad-lib moment. Just right for the picking. It, I mean, it was... I, I guess I walked into it by writing this script. I don't see how, but um, I guess that I'm I set just myself more, up for this I have, somehow. I just have uh, a lot of cleverness. Yeah. Latent clever. See, I was clever, just excited. I was very excited, as I am every time um, when I realized that this episode closes out the first episode we did on the podcast, where we have now done a deep dive into every single book, not just that we mentioned on the first episode, but in the series of the two books we mentioned on the first episode. <laughs> like we That's got pretty after cool, it. honestly. And it's a little weird because you've recommended a lot of books that I mm -hmm. actually thought I was going to read before before this. Uh, so it's interesting that those two books are the ones that we followed through on Same. all the and way I've, to the end. I've read other books that you've recommended that were on the list, but the only ones we've talked about are Lightbringer and Broken Earth. It's just strange that that's how it worked out, that it was the first episode. Pretty cool, though. I like yeah. it. There's a nice, um, what's that word? Not circularity. Symmetry. Symmetry, Symmetry is much better than circularity. circularity. So if circularity isn't a word, I think it should be. <laughs> well, with this circularity episode... Um, thank you thank you webster's <laughs> take note this is the next yolo it's uh i just feel like we should definitely continue not planning stuff like this out and just see what other random happenstance we get into it's more fun right. that way right. right also your sexual escapades so. oh god i'm gonna cut that part out <laughs> yeah that was political that's fine
Thank you for providing us an extra intro music so I know when I'm editing this what weird section to cut out. Yeah, that was kind of my thought. I was like, Joel's not going to want that to be public knowledge, so we should probably (laughs) give him an audio cue to edit out the part where he talks about clown porn. Oh, God. Just the, yeah, all the clown porn. Love those squishy red noses. I'm going to get a buzzer um, for the desk. So anytime I need to cut something out, I can just hit it really loud and it will interrupt the podcast. So I'll have a note uh, because, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'm pulling out all the stops today. Probably a good call. All right. So, well, uh, the, so the, the Broken Earth read, trilogy, am yeah, I right? Yeah. Am I we right? just read the. Um, the book jackets for the Broken Earth books. Um, all three of them. All three of them. So do we want to give a quicker overview of the narrative, or do you just want to dive into the things we loved, hated, stuff like that? Uh, remember when we did the Mistborn trilogy, yes. and you made me summarize the storyline of all three books, and I did I it like this. that. Great, do that with the Broken Earth. Okay. Are you going to give me a time limit, or am I just going to mm-hmm. start talking? You cannot go longer than uh, 10 seconds. What? Yeah, I know. All right, so it's going to be awesome. Are you ready? No. I'll give you a Tell me when you're ready. Tell me when you're ready. Okay, I'm just going to wing it because I don't think I can possibly be ready for this. I don't don't think you can either. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the world is all very shaky. There's one giant continent. There's a bunch of people who can control the movement of the Earth and tectonic plates. Um, some lady uh, accidentally. Time. There was, was no way that was seconds. just ten seconds. It was ten seconds and thirty milliseconds. Oh, I'm God. sorry. All right. Could give me so, like thirty seconds and I could do it. I bet you I can do it in ten seconds. Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Woman uses magic earthquake powers to save the world and bring the moon back into orbit. Okay. I mean, I guess that's technically correct. Uh, you just got to cut out all of the important and interesting parts of the book. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. You can do any story in 10 seconds as long as you yeah, cut out literally you everything that matters. Right. Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Short guy destroys jewelry. Done. Yeah. 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 That's fun. <laughs> I'm right. bad at that. I can't summarize. Uh, it's it's fine. That's why we have Narnia. an hour-long podcast to talk about books. How about Narnia? A bunch of preteens stage a coup d'etat. The end. This isn't hard. You're very pretty. good. I mean, I might need to start my own podcast where I just summarize entire <laughs> books in 10 seconds or less. Just a 10-second podcast. Welcome uh, to the 10-second podcast. Today we're talking about Narnia, where a bunch of preteens stage a coup d'etat. Thanks for tuning in. Outro music. See you next week. <laughs> I, I love like it. it. This could be kind of fun. Honestly, that could be really entertaining. I could enjoy the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. This is the Bible, where God gets pissed at humanity, kills his own son. The end. <laughs> Anywho, um, I mean, I kind of just want to do this for the next 30 minutes. Okay, I'm just going to randomly throw fun. out books at you um, throughout <laughs> the rest of this episode that you have to do then right then. <laughs> I kind of love that. All right. So anyways, the Broken Earth Trilogy, <laughs> you can actually summarize it 
and I will let you summarize it in as long as you need to take, as long as it's less than one hour. Yeah, we we've kind of given you the basis. Uh, a yeah, all all that stuff I said about the world and moving things. A bunch of people with magic powers. Um, huge rift opens up at the equator, and then uh, the rest of the book, is, the rest of the series becomes this survival quest until they realize that the person who did it did it for a reason, and then he teaches your main character, a bunch of extra magic powers, and she has to try to go recapture the moon um, to bring uh, the stillness to be actually still and appease the angrier. I think you jumped over the fact that this world is plagued by earthquakes. I said that in my 10-second review. Yeah, that was a while ago. No one Jumping on from that. Yeah, the world is very... That's why it's called the fifth season. The fifth season are seasons caused by giant um uh what's the word seismic events that destabilize the planet and um cause a fifth season that lasts for however many years um until the earth writes itself again uh somewhere along the way they all basically cause like nuclear winters because of so much ash spewed into the air that it cuts out the ability of plants to grow and changes the ecology of the planet and people die and that's Pretty always and it's honestly, really it's really really interesting because that's always like one of the symptoms but when they get into later on and they have like the chapter cut breaks that talk about the named seasons the big ones that happened sometimes there are or not not sometimes there's always some other effect that they're named after so like mm-hmm. if the seismic event happened to happen in the ocean and a giant tidal wave took out you know half the continent it would be named like the flooded season or something uh, and so there's whatever seismic event happens, it sets off a mini nuclear winter and then wherever it happened also caused all kinds of other problems. Like a new mountain range has risen up or, you know, it's spewing lava into the air from the center of the planet for weeks at a time. Like there's always some extra weird issue that they have to deal with. And those are the ones they named after. There was one that was like about like it, it launched a bunch of insects or something. I don't remember. The only one I remember is the first one, which they just call the shattering. Yeah. Because that's the one that's the first time that any of these cataclysmic seismic events occurred. And it shattered the earth with all of these earthquakes. It broke it into pieces. And since that was the first time it had ever happened in history, everyone thought, oh, the world is now shattered. So that's how they referred to the very first of the fifth Mm -hmm. seasons. And I remember they were talking about how there was. Uh, at one point, uh, they're ta- I think it was not till the third book, but they're talking about there were some seasons that were basically just regional. So, like, if an earthquake destroyed China, um, we would get over in America, we would get some of the uh, fallout. Obviously, we would probably feel it, but it would stay regional too. The worst of the damage would stay over there, and we wouldn't really have it affect us. Um, yeah. So that's a weird, weird deep dive into the setting of the story (laughs) but the i feel like the main focus of this story and um the other book we're probably going to record an episode about today uh is it's all about family when it comes down to it it's all about this mother-daughter relationship throughout the three books um which is a interesting way to frame a you know world ending or saving story hey you know what joel it's it's like i always say right when you get to the end of the world, you got to have family because eventually you're going to need a snack. 
Oh my god. What? Yeah. Why are you wanting to eat your family? I thought I'm you hungry. liked your family. Yeah, but I'm hungry. <laughs> oh my god. Go get booze. You stop talking about cannibalism throughout the podcast. I can't. We're podcasting in the kitchens far away. Oh okay. sorry. I I yeah. apologize for that. You should apologize. <laughs> really well, should. Let's start off with the negatives and work our way to the positives so that we can, if people decide to listen to this that haven't read the books, they can um, hear good things about it by the end. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Negative to positive. Hate? The same story arc as my AIDS journey. What? Okay. You're All on right. That. I need to talk about some stuff later. Anyways, um, let's start with what we <laughs> hated. Catch up. <laughs> start with what we hated. So what did you hate? Because I got very nitpicky with this book. Um, the storyline was awesome, but there mm-hmm. were a lot of things that just like made me want to either stop reading or take a pen to the book and edit it myself. <laughs> there were, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of weird. those. I have a lot of those like things I would have changed if I was the author, but I right. have not that many things that I absolutely hated. Um, whereas in The Lightbringer, I had kind of the opposite reaction is there were a lot of things that were i felt like world-breaking problems but i still read all the books this one so I never... the only thing not to get off a sidetrack but the only thing i remember with the Lightbringer being world ending was where the author kept bringing in actual quotes from the bible yes that, so uh, just actual quotes from our world with no yeah. like yeah. yeah and then the, the whole last book of the Lightbringer was just a bizarre like it did not fit with the rest of them. It was fine by itself, but the rest of the books did not fit with that book at all. Like That's I, there. yeah. But anyways, anyways, we're talking broken about. up. No, it's, <laughs> so the two things that I absolutely infuriated me about the book were, I think both of them you can agree with. The one that bothered me the most was the you naming convention. Yeah. Uh, S and the entire book is called you by the narrator. He's talking directly to her. Um, kind of telling her the story because it's spoiler after the fact and she has died and come back as this rock monster thing um yeah, so it's like so a way to fill in her memories yeah, before she fixing her re- memory regains chance starts this yeah. new life um and it's but it's doing that all the way from the very first book where you have no idea these rock creature things even exist so it's just and so it annoying Oh, so God, annoying. it sucks. I don't know how that book got published. It's a very, very, very annoying plot contrivance. And when it got to the oh, end, God. I loved the explanation. Like, I loved how that worked, but it wasn't necessary. Like, I don't feel like that was necessary at all. The story stood without that gimmick. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. The only reason I made it through the first book is because when I started the book, I said, hey, Joel, I'm reading this book. And you said, great, we'll do an episode on it. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can understand that. I was mm-hmm. reading it, it and was, I was recommended it, so it. I was recommended it by a couple friends, and I think four or five chapters in, when it kept doing that, I was like, "Does it do this the whole book?" And they're like, "It does it the whole series." And I was like, "What? I'm not reading the rest of this." And they highly encouraged me to continue, so I forced myself through it, and it's so worth it. But oh my god, you could have just literally do a find and replace on the whole book and change you to Essen, and it would have been better. Like, it would have so it would have because like you can talk to people using their name fun fact people yeah. actually like it but it was it was just so hard to read and i really that was actually the first thing on my list of things i hated it was that the first book wastes 
all of it all of its time with a three person point of view that is all the same character. See, I like the, the entire book is from the same character's yeah. point of yeah. view, just at different times in history, and that kind of pissed me off. Really? Because yeah, because the you character was so jarring, and about a quarter of the way through the book, I figured out or yeah, I figured out what was going to be happening. And so once I figured it out, I was like, why is this still going on? Yeah, this should have like swapped. I agree. It just it, it felt went like so there needed long. to be another twist for the the book to have done that. Right. Like because I love I, fig- this- I figured out what was going on a quarter of the way through the book and mm-hmm. it's not revealed until three quarters of the way through the book and it's supposed to be this big reveal and the author writes it and i'm like yeah no shit can we be done with this but if yeah i feel like if you didn't get it until the three quarter of the book it would have worked but again yeah i got it fairly early on in the story and was really annoyed at it by the end exactly Um, and and it was one of the things i'm I'm fairly decent at when i'm reading like it's not suspending disbelief, but it's been suspending knowledge sometimes. If I've yeah. gotten a twist and I figured it out, I can usually push that to the back of my mind and just enjoy the book as if I hadn't for the most part. But when this one kept jarring you back into the out of the story with you and you, and you, I was just like, okay, that's good. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's another thing you hate. Well, I just want to wrap that one up on my end by saying that my complaint with the first book of the series is the same complaint I have with my least favorite book of all time, which is the third book in the divergent series. Okay. The point of view. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. The point of view um, framing device mm-hmm. is, it just does not, it's not appropriate basically. Okay. I don't like it. I don't, I, that's it. That's the whole thought. It's not appropriate. Right. I don't like it. You shouldn't do it. You should fix I enjoyed it for the first no, book, stupid. but anything past it. that book, it was it didn't need to be happening anymore. You could have stopped the U. And I didn't enjoy it in the first book, but I understood it to set up the three different timelines thing. Um, yeah. But again, it was just so. My second thing, we can move on to number two, and I'll start okay. since you went first last time. My second thing is that I really did not like the first book, but I did like books one and two quite a bit. I think that N.K. Jemisin took a long time to ramp up what was actually going on, and it may have been as simple as the second that she did away with that dumb three-person point of view thing in the first book. It was more interesting, and I really enjoyed the second book because you started to get outside views into what was going on, and to me, a lot of those outside views were much more interesting than the main character's point of view. uh, for whatever reason, I really just did not connect very well with the main character of this book, but I connected mm-hmm. pretty strongly with a lot of the side characters. Well, she was kind of a sociopath, and I liked that actually. But um, I, liked well, I liked that she was in. She was like not. She was a emotionless person for the most part. She was kind of a sociopath. Uh, I thought that was a interesting take on a protagonist. But I'll give you that the first book is the weakest of the three by far. Um, And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You could have at the halfway point of that book, um, given your big reveal and then added in some other perspectives that you got later on. And it would have evened that out. But I think she wanted this, the author wanted the story to 
have that gut punch at the end of the first book where it was like, oh, these are all the same people. This is our main character. And it's like, yeah, but we got that a while ago. <laughs> exactly. The fact that it was so easy to figure out early on in the book completely took away the almost the the climax of the book because mm-hmm. there wasn't really much of a climax in the book. And that was supposed to be it. The yeah. reveal, the big reveal. Yeah. And it was, you know. No, no. You could have you could have like stretched and like condensed some stuff. You could always do that in the books, but you could have stretched and condensed some. Of the no, it's, main it's scenes. like it's like if someone today was like, "Dude, guess what?" And I was like, "What?" And they said, "Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian," and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm aware. It's been been a while." <laughs> okay, you know that's that's how these books felt. Yeah. My my third and my my well actually my second but our third biggest complaint thing that I hated about the book is one that you pointed out multiple times um, in our uh, last few episodes talking about it is the the forced inclusivity that completely fizzled out by the second book like yeah it was it was interesting once in the first book like there was one interesting character because like because of this um, inclusivity. And then there was a bunch of others that were just kind of there. Um, and then that all fizzled out completely by book two. Right. But the whole so kill your gaze book? thing. Oh, um, yeah. And it was just like, what? okay. And like they mentioned it and like addressed some other um, like couplings later on. But it was so much the focus of the first book. And then it just wasn't anymore. That was felt very like, what was the point of that then? Yeah, in book one, everyone was gay or trans or down to clown with an orgy. And by book two, everyone was completely straight, as far as you could tell from reading the book. Yeah, there was like one lesbian couple mentioned in book two or book three. um, And her travel companion in the second book may have been gay, but it was never very clear. And it was just like, okay. No, those were such throwaways. They were straight. Exactly. It was pointless. It was just, I understand that, as you pointed out, that a lot of like um, publishers will ask for that specifically. And I like inclusivity. I'm fine with it. But if it's inclusivity for its own sake, it's annoying. And it's very, it's worse than just not having anybody, I feel like. And especially if you're just going to kill them. This is maybe an unpopular opinion, and you can fight me on it if you want. I don't like inclusivity in books simply because that generally becomes the focus of the plot. I can see that point of view. I don't agree with it, but I can see that point of view. You don't have to agree with it. It's like just one of those things where I'm like if someone introduces a a, like marginalized character type, I can almost guarantee that that's going to be what the story is about in some way, shape or form for the majority of the book. And it just is like, and that's just a sign. Yeah. That's a hundred percent a sign of poor writing. It happens all the time in TV shows. It's just not my thing. It should just be a, if if you're going to have a gay or trans or bi or something character in your story, it should just be a part of the story that doesn't need to be the focus. Yeah. And when it becomes the focus, it, it, it's a detriment to those characters and your own. That's the thing. Like straight characters are not written with a focus on the fact that they're straight. They're written on a lot of other things. They're written on their personalities and all that. And so it's fun to read because you get to explore 
just the human condition. But the second that you bring in a character for the purpose of showing their marginalized status, you focus too much on the wrong things. Yeah, like exactly. if you're going to if you're going to put a gay character into the book for the most part ignore the fact that they're gay the same way that a norm like a, a more yes, traditional book ignores normally. the fact that they're straight like eh. not that hard to treat your gay and characters normally like i don't understand yeah wait you mean treating them like they're humans shit exactly it's so bizarre yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like even if you disagree with it it's not, whatever whatever <laughs> so i i had an issue as well that like i said in the past two or three episodes that was one of my big issues as well is that nk jemison threw all of these marginalized or diverse characters into the book and the only i guess marginalized or um i don't know what the word for it is maybe um it's it's not intersectional that's not right is it I don't know. I have intersectionals the, in weird ways. I'll say intersectional. The only <laughs> intersectional character trait that she kept was the fact that her main characters were black and women. She yeah. kept that consistent through the entire book, which makes sense because she is also a black woman. But all of the other intersectional characteristics were introduced for no reason and whatsoever. They were, either, they were either killed off or completely sidelined by the next few books. And there was, was, like, there was oh, no okay. reason for it. It was completely yeah. pointless. It didn't contribute to the plot in any way, shape, or form. Which, I don't, I don't know if we want to move on to what we have, would have changed, but that's one of my biggest things that I would have changed in the story, is fixing that small issue. So let's hold off on that one, because okay. I have hold that one, more, <laughs> one more thing that I would... No, two more things I would add. So the first one we've talked about a million times. I didn't know if this was on Earth or not, and that bugged the hell out of me. Okay. I just wanted it addressed. Um, there's yeah, a, they should have there's, at some point said that. <laughs> this is there's actual a book, Earth. There's a book called Prince of Thorns. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not very good. But it is set in a future Earth society where everything is basically gone medieval. And mm-hmm. they, address, they, they address in the first book that it is Earth. And they do it just by talking about like skyscrapers or something. And I was like, cool, I know what the setting is. Moving on. This book left it such a mystery for the first two books that I spent a lot of time reading it, trying to find connections mm-hmm. to our Earth, which tore me out of the story. And then and, and even worse, like by midway or near the end of the second book, it seems very clear that this is not Earth. It could not be Earth. Definitely yeah. not Earth. And yeah. then there's portions of the third book that try to bring draw you back that maybe this actually is Earth in the far, far future. And it's like, OK, you know yeah. what? I give up. <laughs> it, it just felt like the author couldn't make up her mind, which right. I mean, she she probably knew exactly whether it was Earth or not. But the way she wrote it, I don't know if she was trying to make it like this mystery and make it mysterious. Um, it it had the opposite effect for me. It just tore me out of the story so often that I, I struggled to remain immersed. And you know what it might have been, and this is just pure guesswork. I haven't talked to the author. I don't know these things, but it might have been road trip. (laughs) It might have been her trying to avoid one of my biggest annoyances with fantasy stories is made up words. And instead of making up a new name for a new planet, so that she could say things like, uh, or she could use idiomatic phrases that use the word Earth, she just left it called Earth, which has made it very confusing. Instead of making up a new name for a planet. Yeah. 
But even then, it's really, really easy to make up a name for Earth in a fantasy series. You just call it something like EA, like Aya, or you can yeah. call it Gaia, or you can make up a word that works if you base it off of Latin or Greek. And people are like, okay, this is a fake world, but That's it, what I, like, like, I got it. It's easy. I hate, it's that's one of my biggest pet peeves about naming conventions in fantasy is I hate when you just make up nonsense and it sounds made up. Uh, that's where I only use real words, even if it has to be a real word in another language or like a shortened version of a very long Latin word or something. I will only ever yeah. use real words because it annoys me so much. So that might have been what she was trying to do. Doesn't it, super I excuse mean, maybe, it, but it explains it. Uh, well, it's it's just so easy to do. Yeah. And you know, it's it's frustrating when someone is too lazy to do it, I guess, right. in my opinion. So, um, okay, so my final thing that just frustrated the hell out of me is very similar to the, um, the marginalized character issue, but it's okay. that she did a lot of throwaway world building, if that makes sense. So, okay. for example, the trans character was kind of a quick moment of oh maybe trans characters are accepted in this culture nope we're gonna forget that that person was trans or the uh issue where she talks about the dogs that are completely normal but then the second that a season starts they become like carnivorous human killing monsters right and, and that was addressed in the first book and then never it, saw those dogs it never showed up again it was a complete throwaway. It was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing in this world. Yeah. Mind. And it was one of the things I think that was it was used kind of as a example of how everything changes in a season. But then you don't get anything like that until the bugs in the second book. And then the bugs yeah. pop up again in the third book. But you only get like the dogs never do. And it was like, OK, that was yeah. um, unnecessary or like you could have at least had another one of those dogs later on or something. Instead of just that one scene, basically. And for me, it would be excusable if this was longer than three books. Like, I understand if you're an author who's writing a 12-book series and you forget about something that you wrote in book two. Mm -hmm. But when you only have three books, it should be pretty coherent. You should I wonder, you should have a pretty limited number of things yeah. you're bringing into the, the world. I wonder what the time difference is between book one and then books two and three because books two and three felt very cohesive and written together almost and book one is just kind of out of there it's a little bit distant from them Wonder if i would was agree a with that big time i would gap. agree oh don't you worry i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out for you buddy old okay. pal <laughs> I'm, well you're I'm looking that you. up I'm, I'm gonna move on to the point oh I made a second no ago that i found changed. it already I, it, oh, yeah? I found it it's it's not good it's not good what is it the fifth season the first book yeah. came out in 2015. Okay. The Obelisk Gate, the second book, came out in 2016. The Stone okay. Sky, the third book, came out in came 2017. Out yeah. Okay. Maybe it was just, but maybe the, I mean, maybe she wrote them still at different times because maybe it took a while for the first one to get published. Yeah, but by that's then she'd very the next possible. Two. Very yeah. possible. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. You're right though. The first book was very. It was. It was it just good. Feels, it was yeah, it, it just feels disconnected from the other two. Wasn't the same. Yeah, I agree with that. So, all right, very good. Okay, so what's next on our list? We're talking okay. about these are things we, we would have changed. So maybe taking some of those things we hated and how we would have liked to see them done differently. Um, yeah. Maybe if this ever gets a TV or a movie adaptation, things you could just shift a little bit that would fix it. Some of the problems. My biggest one. Um, uh, just it's so easy to do, I feel like, 
is uh, have another character's POV in the first book and have it be Anon, who is the island untrained or origin that she has a kid with. Um, and that is also dating um, uh, Alabaster. So the bisexual island king guy have him given a point of view and then uh, extended his story into the second one. You could still have the big scene at the end where he dies um, and their child dies and they sacrifice themselves. And that big inciting incident where she changes her name again and goes on the run still have that, but have him be maybe the chapter breaks in the next book or something and just drag that storyline out because it became such a um like part of her character that she's lost children in the past and this was her best hope for having a good life and it was taken from her as well and you only really see that in the first book and she mentions it maybe once maybe twice but this dead kid this dead husband is just it's not drawn out and if you would have done that, that also would have brought you another um, uh, marginalized character, the bisexual character, into the second book. And it would have spread all of that out a little bit. And it would have given you a different point of view in the first book after we already figured out the three timelines thing. Like you could have just made him a slightly bigger story arc or maybe just longer, not even bigger, because his arc is big. It's just too short. It's too abridged. Um, and I feel like that would have fixed a lot of these weird uh uh books don't feel connected issues as well so i kind of disagree with you on that specific example <clears throat> um only because i don't think nk jemison can write uh the male perspective okay so think about think about the book okay and think about the characters that she wrote uh the vast majority of them were women and if children, a male, yeah, and yeah, women or children, and if a male character came in, that character was almost an alien or was mm -hmm. like a non-human type thing. It was either a guardian, a stone eater, or alabaster who was so disconnected from reality he may have been one or the other. And so yeah. I think, <laughs> so I think that um, in so Kate the Jemison, longest running male character in the story that she that had his own point of view chapters was a gay rock half rock creature who had gone crazy. You're right. right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that N.K. Jemison was playing to her strengths. I think she understood that uh, like and I have the same issue with men who write. I don't think men are very good at writing women characters. And I think N.K. Jemison did the smart thing where she just kind of avoided writing male characters because almost That's all fair. of the characters in these three books are women. Even when um, Nassen or Essen or whoever the hell the main character is, even when she hooks up with the, um, the, the commune, guy. no, even when she hooks up with the commune, all of the leadership besides the doctor are women. So and I think – I think that was really smart on N.K. Jemison's part because I think you're able to more authentically write your own gender. Um, so I like I applaud that. I have no issue with that. No, yeah, so I you're... think I, I think if she would have done a entire story arc from the point of the the um, in on the man. Yeah, yeah I, I just don't think it would have come across as genuine as the other characters I, did. I can see that. Yeah. I just found him looking back. I found him as one of the most interesting side characters and 
when I was doing this list of things, I, w- I was like, why do we get so little of him? And the more I thought about it, I was like, if we got just a little bit more of him, most of my issues for the first book would have been erased. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. But maybe if they ever do a TV or a movie out of this, you just give him I even just like flashback yeah. scenes or something in season two. Just give him more of an arc. So, so that it the blends one, things together better. The one that I would want to be uh, fleshed out a little more goes into the thing I would change, but I would want Shafa the guardian to be fleshed mm-hmm. out a little more because that's I think one of that my, the, that's one of mine too. I think that the guardian experience in this world is as important, if not more so than the experience of the erogenies. So I think it is one of those things where I wish she would have just spent a little more time on it. Like I, I was actually very frustrated and this is the number one thing I would have changed. I was very frustrated that Shafa, the Guardian, was completely sidelined in the third book right before there would have been this amazing, amazing reunion between the mother and the daughter and the and mother Shafa, yeah. who used to be controlled by the Guardian. Yeah, her that Guardian, would have been yeah. incredible, and I never got to see it, which pissed me off in the third book. That I was kind towards, of an I unfired Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yeah. You I never got to see her and Shafa reunite um, after no. he's kind of gone good. That's a good. And it could and it could have been such a beautiful moment where she's like, "You like took care. You saved my daughter." Like that yeah. could have been so cathartic, and it just yeah. never happened. Like, it was kind of there was so much there was Awful. so much stuff that went into that last couple chapters that I, it might have slowed it down a bit, but it was still something I wanted the whole time. The book should have just added another 50 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have cared. I really like I was spending the entire time where um, the mother was chasing after the daughter and the daughter was with the guardian. I was spending the entire time just like, oh, man, this is going to be so great when she gets to finally confront the man who like caged her and ruined her early life and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And broke her had hand this the way she huge, kids, yeah, broke her hand. Stuff. Uh. You're right. And then it You're didn't right. happen. I don't remember. I, I I mean, it's been a while since I read these books, but yeah, I wanted that to happen as well. You're reminding me of that, <laughs> that pang. I, it was I needed absolutely that. awful. Yeah. <laughs> so that was frustrating. It, it'd be like if Frodo got to Mordor and he was like, you know what? I'm going to give the ring to Sam. Like, <laughs> just like, damn wait, it. what? No. It's like no. an open-ended parenthetical. It's just yeah, like, this isn't in the story arc. Deal with your own sins, Frodo. Deal with your own inner demons, damn it. (laughs) Well, that was, yeah, as I said, that was another big thing I would have changed is give us a bigger Guardian story um, in the second book or given him more of a POV chapter or something. Just He he was interesting. Shafa was interesting as hell. He was conflicted. He was, like, like, fighting against his inner demons. He was basically – if. If we're talking like Dresden file stuff, he was basically the Thomas of this book. Yes, very where much. He's so. constantly fighting to be a good person, even though everything in him is screaming to be evil. It was awesome. I loved it. And, we, I loved and that shift, we didn't get that shift. It just kind of happened. We never saw inside of his head when that shift happened. True. Um, that was it happened kind of off I didn't screen. Even, I didn't even understand it. He was drowning, and then suddenly he was good. Yeah, like it, I didn't. It, it I didn't happened really basically understand. off screen almost, and we. I, I felt like we should have gotten a peek inside of his mind more. Yeah, it didn't make very much sense. I suspended my disbelief enough 
so I could finish the story, but I really did not understand the process for that one. And I, so. I still loved the character so much, but yeah, it would have been better if we got a why to him. Yeah. Yeah. And this, yeah. and this is another, this is kind of a small thing. Um, the books, at least in the third book, when it got into the deep, deep, deep lore, um, they managed to point out that uh, Orogeny is, uh, it kind of works like bending where it's a little bit genetic, but not entirely. It's somewhat mystical and everybody has different power levels, but the more people with several, the same power levels you have mating, the more powerful your kids might be. It did all that stuff. And then you have Nassan, who's born with this massive power level um, uh, that kind of makes sense, but doesn't feel right. Just in in reading it, it feels like she shouldn't be the the daughter of a powerful origin and a um, yeah still. yeah. It doesn't make any damn sense. I disagree with you. That character doesn't make any sense at all. Because I think if you they, just they, have... no they they set up they set up a lot of um lore within the books to say that the main way to make orogenies is through selective breeding and then the most powerful orogeny that ever exists was a product of like non-selective breeding basically well it talks about it it talks about it several times that they thought it was breeding but still still had origins all the time Um, i guess i mean i can i can give you that to you it was just weird it didn't yeah um, I think well if you me. would have just implied that she was pregnant again when she left that island, if just even just that, like, you could have just given oh, that, that would have that would have been awesome. That, that would have made daughter a may have been stuff. Alabasters or may have been a non's kid. Yeah, but they yeah, didn't if, even if they would have said that, I would have liked this book a lot if they would have just done that and been like, I, I don't even know the best way to do that, but just. You're right, implying that one of those two is the father would have made it, it work. And I'm thinking back, and it doesn't feel like – I feel like it very specifically said the opposite because I feel like she was – after and on, she was done having kids, but then she met this yeah. guy, fell in love with him, and ended up pregnant. But I thought that she said she was done having kids after her uh, – after right. two of her children died at that island scene. Um, yeah. I also uh, didn't really understand how a character – who had lived on an island where everyone loved Orogenes, and she had been basically a lover to a man who liked Orogenes. Like, she was a... I don't know. I just didn't understand how she made the switch to end up marrying a man who so clearly hated Orogenes. And that was like... Was I feel weird. like that was some of her, like, you like be, like taking cover and being kind of a sociopath and just doing what was best for herself at the moment it was best for herself to marry into the community it was best yeah i think that was was weird she was a weird person and she was damaged very damaged oh yeah Yeah. i agree i agree any other changes you would have made before we go on to our favorite things no that was the main one the thing about shafa it just pissed me off and it made the book feel incomplete for me yeah everything like like everything else everything else i would change was covered in the Things I hated, like I would change all that. <laughs> gotcha. But, all right, so Hollywood, HBO, whoever, make this show and make our nope. changes to make it even better. <laughs> and pay us because yeah, we gave you the us. idea. Yes, we just did some writing for you. Yeah, come on, guys. Okay. Well, I favorite have. Um, I only have three things in my favorite scenes slash quotes. Um, yeah. How many do you have? Because I don't know if I want to go one after the other or one and talk about each one. 
It's up to you, bud. Okay. You're the master well, and commander. Well, I'm going to start. Um, my absolute, I think, favorite scene in the whole book was the um, transition through the earth near the end of the story where yeah. the like five main characters hold hands with Hoa and journey through the core. And you think it's going to be this like transition chapter. It's not going to be anything. They're just going to get there on the other side of the world. And then like he starts having this light speed battle traveling through the planet where all five of them are holding hands and only one of them has anything, has any idea what's even going on. And um, he like survives. He gets them through, except they lose one along the way. And it's just, it was such a out of nowhere chapter, like did not see it coming. Did not see the Dr. Guy's death coming. Did not see it being a battle coming. Like, I felt like it was just, we had been lulled into this false sense of security um, that all the bad things were going to happen when they got to the other side of the world. And then, bam, you're in the middle of a giant fight scene. Uh, okay. Fighting with levels like you can't even understand. And massive power differences. And it was so alien and different and weird. It came out of nowhere and I loved it. I was like, this was exciting. And I'm glad... That was kind of the only bit we got. We had seen them traveling through the earth before, but never that deep and never that fast. I felt like if there was any more of that, it would have ruined it because that scene was just so powerful. I think I reread it a couple times. Oof. I'm really sorry. I actually felt that that scene was boring and very derivative. Really? Um, I loved it so much. Have you? Have I recommended the um, Demon Cycle to you by Peter um, B. Brett? No, but I think I tried to read that on my own and didn't like okay. it. So the series itself has a lot of problems. I'm surprised you didn't like it because the first book is probably the only book that doesn't have problems and is just phenomenal. Um, but the entire final book of the series involves them journeying to the core of the earth to fight the like big bad. And so that's exactly what this felt like. But I didn't I feel like you. this was basically since the demon cycle spent an entire book dealing with that. This one just was like, oh. All right. Oh, see, well, my favorite part about the one of the reasons I love this so much is because it was so short and sweet and there. And it was I really like books that are anything that can surprise me in a book. Um, And when it's that kind of jarring and fits still like I, I just it was very unexpected. And I kind of loved that because of it. It was All unexpected right, and good. fit in the story, I guess. No, you can. Yeah. I'm sad you uh, thought the. The Demon Cycle was boring. It's a pretty good series. A lot of people gonna, hate it. I really liked I, it. I gotta go look back into it and remember why yeah. I hated it, but I did not like that cool. book. Main character was like tatted up and fought demons. It was cool. Um, so we apologize if this next bit sounds a little stilted because we had a technical difficulty and had to re-record the last twenty minutes of the episode. But we were talking about favorite scenes. Um, and Stephen, you were talking about Shafa, I believe. Yes, I was. So my favorite scene in the entire series was when Shafa goes to basically take Demaya, the main character, away from her abusive family. And it's just this really cool scene because you've got this scared little girl who's on this family farm with abusive parents. And then this badass of a character walks on and is there to take the kid away. And the family thinks, oh, this guy's going to take her away and get rid of our problem. He's going to kill her or something. Yeah. And this family hates the even idea of someone being an origin. Right. And instead, Shaf is like, Oh, you thought I was going to kill her. 
I'm not. And you people suck for thinking that. And he's saying things like, oh, you didn't even give a blanket to your own daughter who had to sleep in a cold barn in the middle of winter. Like, it's just this this badass moment where this guy comes in to save a little girl. And then, like, three scenes later, he breaks her hand. Mm-hmm. And you see the point. Yeah, you see the full juxtaposition and the conflict of his character in that one little scene all the way back in book one. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a really powerful scene. I 100% agree. And I just I love it because it sets up the entire book and the whole idea of um, like moral relativism, almost like good mm-hmm. people do bad things for good reasons and bad people do good things for bad reasons. Yeah, it ver- and that's a um, that's a really good um microcosm of the lesson the book the book teaches you at different times is that sometimes your intentions um uh, matter a lot more than your actual actions and sometimes vice versa like it just it really does deal with moral relativism in a very pointed way at times because you see both moments or both characters you see um when shafa does this to her He's doing it as this force of evil at the time. Um, right. And then you see her do it to her children way later on, and she's doing the exact same thing, but for way different reasons. And both moments are characterized as um, good, like for the greater good, but bad in the moment. But one of them is supposed to be, you're supposed to take it as ultimately good, and one of them you're supposed to take as ultimately bad. And that's such a beautiful way to do that no i totally agree i totally agree okay well i had um uh i had one more favorite scene and this one isn't as much a uh scene as it is just a a picture it's a visual that i loved and it was the final city before the big showdown between nasen and essen when essen's just kind of living there for a bit and this city is completely filled with these living statues, and some of them are stone eaters, and some of them are people that were at the time of the first big uh, of the shattering that have just been completely turned to stone. And so some of these things are living, and some of them are stuck there. But it's this pristine, beautiful city that is very technologically advanced compared to everything else, um, and that uh, we haven't seen anything pristine in any of the books at this point. Uh, especially since the rift, but now she's wandering through this abandoned, empty city with these living statues, and it's just this beautiful idea. And then some of them, there's a scene specifically where she's like watching them out the window, and they slowly go through a normal routine because they're made of stone and their lives move at a different pace than ours. Uh, and it's just really, really picturesque, and I want to be able to see that in some format. <laughs> And see, I think that that should have been more of a focal point in the actual plot itself, because I think it would have been really cool if the stone eaters had been in the just normal societies, normal cultures and had like basically they were statues living around. And so you have a statue that has its you know hand down by its hip when a kid is born. And then by the time mm-hmm. the kid dies, the hand is moved up towards like where its face is, just showing how slowly these yeah. immortal creatures live. Like that would have been so cool to and see if that as was part, just, of like, the, part of the scenery. Yeah. If it was yeah. casually mentioned in the first book that there was a, a stone statue at the city gates um, that she could have sworn when she was a child had its hand down. 
uh, but now it's flipped over. Like something like that would have helped that uh, helped that mean a little bit more by the end. Yeah, it would have helped it stick because instead we just have these stone eaters who can travel through the entire world, but for some reason decide to live in only one tiny speck of the world. It just is mm-hmm. weird. And I think it would have been cool if they would have spread out a little more and been more a part of the culture. Yeah, added that to the scenery, 100%. Yeah, yeah I, would have, I would have appreciated that. Well, my final um, thing in this point isn't a scene, it's a quote. Um, and what I like to do every time I have we cover any books that I have on my Kindle, I go back and see if I've actually saved any quotes quotes and i had but only from one book in this whole series and it was the first one so i'll just read it and then we can talk about it there are okay. stages to the process well now you're gonna get interrupt me halfway through the first word <laughs> there are stages to the process of being betrayed by your society one is jolted from a place of complacency by the discovery of difference by hypocrisy by inexplicable or incongruous ill treatment what follows is a time of confusion unlearning what one thought to be the truth immersing oneself in the new truth, and then a decision must be made. And I love this quote so much because it's a moment we've all had. It's talking about this life-changing, decision-changing, just – Completely revamping your paradigms. Yes, it's a paradigm shift. That's words I was looking for. Um, uh, Where – and we've all had it even if it's just as simple as discovering that Santa doesn't exist and you realize your whole life has been a lie uh, and you have to – deal with that and you have to move on somehow and i've never had and it i know it's been it's been very real in both of our lives because mm-hmm. i converted religions i switched to catholicism and and you know. i admitted to myself finally that i was bisexual and then i changed political parties and plenty of other things where i've changed my mind on stuff but i've never had it put into words this succinctly this moment where you're I mean, the way she talks about it, it's a time of confusion and unlearning what one thought to be the truth. And then right then isn't when the decisions are made. That's not when you make up how your life is going to go from that on. First, after you unlearn things, then you have to immerse oneself in the new truth. And only after that can you make a decision about what happens next. And I don't know. I love – I just love that quote so much. Very good. All right, so favorite characters. We already talked about Shafa quite a bit. Let's talk about Hoa and why he's your favorite character, and I think he sucks. Yeah, and well, we worked this out in the recording that was lost, um, uh, the differences opinions on Hoa, so we're trying to recreate that. But I love him for his alienness. I love uh, characters that if you can get across how different they are, but still like they're internally consistent – um, I really like that style of character. And when we finally get his deep, 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 far backstory, and you realize that this is the oldest creature on the planet that is uh, a big portion of the story pretending to be a child, like a wide-eyed, um, idiotic child, uh, it's just a really fun character uh, arc for him. And I know explain why you don't like him yeah so long story short i don't like hoa because basically nk jemison is fantastic at writing female characters she's not great at writing male characters just as most men are great at writing male characters and are terrible at writing female characters so when she tries to write hoa who is a male character 
She writes him very stilted and alien-esque. Um, and then beyond that, even though I know she's trying to make him seem childlike and naive, she just makes him seem like wrong and robotic. And then a little, little more to the point of why I don't like him. He, even though he is like 70,000 years old, his character at age 70,000 is almost exactly the same as his character at age 32. And I don't think that's realistic. I think it's just kind of lazy writing. Um, and he doesn't seem like he understands humanity as well as he should for being basically an observer of humanity for the past seven millen- 70 millennia. Mm. And we, so, we discovered my... we discovered uh, that we had we had been picturing him a little bit differently. Um, I read it as uh, he went through four stages of existence, his original proto origin genetically engineered human creature thing then death and living within the earth for a long time maybe not even observing maybe coming up a few times but just living in the earth until he found someone powerful enough to do what he needed and then he birthed himself as this almost stone eater but not really somewhere halfway between stone eater and human so that he could interact with them and then goes through a chrysalis and becomes a full stone eater um, and you took it as he once he died the first time he became a stone eater, then turned himself into a little kid and then went back. Um, and we're not sure exactly which one of those is probably more correct. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, isn't really Joel's fault or my fault. It's just kind of um, what's what's the word when something isn't clear? It Unclear? is No, there's a better word <laughs> for it. It is um, not obvious, but. Eh, it doesn't matter. It just wasn't clear, as Joel said. The end. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So miscellaneous, miscellaneous. What do you want to do with miscellaneous? Well, you asked a very interesting question last time. I did. I so my question, my question was, would you read another book set in this same world? And I said yes with a very large butt, and you didn't make a reference to or a snide comment about large butts last time. That's because um, I can't. This book was literally written by a black author. That seems racist. Oh my god! I can't do it. It's not my fault. <laughs> White book. Can't do it. Don't make me. <laughs> Anyways. You're welcome. The the massive butt I want to talk about now is that wow. it has to be. Bring that home. It has to be well before Nasen or Essen or Hoa. Well, not Hoa because he's super old, but at least Demaya. Like it has to be well before any of these events. I would love to read a story that takes place during one of the historic things that are discussed. One of the other um, fifth seasons, uh, maybe going back and showing us not the first one because we've got a little bit of that, but any of the in-between ones and how the civilizations rose uh, in between them. Because there's, you know, thousands of years, as you said, maybe show us what happened when the ocean got shook and we got this um, Inans island that was broken away from the mainland. I would read anything like that. I would even straight up read the full text of like the textbook histories that were chapter separations. Um, But do not give me anything that happened during the books we already got because – I'd be very annoyed with that. And definitely, definitely don't give me anything afterwards. I don't care how Nassim grew up. Let me imagine that. Um, her story had a perfect ending. I don't need any more. 
Yeah, my thing is I the only thing I would want to see more of in this uh, world is what like the cultural aspects of it looked like. So the great metropolitan city of Yemenis, I would want to see what that looked like after, you know, 10,000 years of living in this messed up earthquake ridden world. Other than that, there's not much I would be interested in seeing. I think the world itself has been pretty fleshed out at this point. Yeah, there's a there is a gap in the world building there because um, it wasn't necessary for the story. It's not a problem. It just wasn't necessary. But we never got to see how the sort of advanced society lived. We only got to see the backwater parts. And that's something um, uh, that happens and that people solved with the Expanse book series. Because the whole book, the whole series is for about half the series, largely about the political problems between Earth and Mars. Um, and the first book sets all this stuff up, but you only get to see this one crew on this one ship out in the far edge of the solar system. And you don't actually get to see the decisions made back home. You just get to feel their effects somewhat. In the yeah. TV show, the first season, they went ahead and had a character that doesn't even show up till the next book. Uh, be a main character from the very first episode so that they could show you what was going on in the part of the world you didn't get enough of in the books and so that was that's something they could solve if they ever turned this into another medium by just giving you a character that lives in Yemenis in the first season and i would appreciate that maybe replace one of um, the main character's split personalities with a Yemenis character that would have been cool yeah, just before yeah before it all ended that'd be interesting I can yep. get on board with that. Right. All right. Well, we went through this a little bit faster than we did the first time around. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Um, it's Joel's you, fault, yeah, honestly. Yeah, my fault. I forgot to re-record after actual technical difficulties yeah. that weren't yeah. my fault. <laughs> Even if it wasn't, it was still his fault. So we'll just we'll live uh, with it. Well, this brings season three to a close. So, um, or season two to a close. Bring season two to a close. So we will be back. We both have some life things going on that we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Um, yeah, maybe Phil's a little bit getting more. a sex change, so I, I am. Um, so we'll be all different when we come back. Joel's <laughs> uh, finally going to have a penis. Oh my god! <laughs> we don't know when we will be back, but um, we'll let you know if you follow us on Twitter at book underscore pod, uh, Facebook at book report podcast, or Instagram at the book report pod. Um, and you can email us if you have ideas for things you want us to cover next season, or you want to be a guest and promote a book or something next season, um, at bookreportpod at gmail.com. We'll be back someday. <laughs> Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Later, losers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Nah. Bye. Bye.